The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Parting words are significant. Parting words are significant. Parting words can leave a lasting impression. Parting words can even have kind of a shaping effect to our lives. So think movies, for instance. There's the character laying on the ground, dying. The other character pulls them close. The character dying is going to utter their last words. What are those last words? Will it be a curse? Will it be a blessing? Will it be a challenge? Right? We, we've seen this so often that in, in, in uh, comedies, they make fun of this now, you know, with the character gurgling away or something. On a more serious note, not only can a negative parting word uh, have an impact or leave a lasting impression, but no parting word, silence, can leave an impact and shape someone's future. I remember having a conversation with a close friend whose father walked away from them and their family at a very young age. And as they reflected on that reality, they said, he didn't say anything to me. He didn't say anything to any of our siblings. He just left. You can see how silence there speaks a pretty powerful word, how silence can leave a lasting impression, how it can shape someone's view of themselves or what they can expect from other people, what they can expect in the future. Parting words, whether they're spoken or not, are powerful. So at Shades Valley, on Sunday morning, like many churches throughout the world and throughout history, we have a parting word to our service. Every Sunday, we end with the words of what? A benediction. A benediction. We say every Sunday, please stand for the benediction. And whether it's our shades benediction or whether it's a benediction that's based on the season, we end with these words. One theologian said that a benediction at the end of the service can be called God's parting words. God's parting words. We end our service each week with these parting words. And if you're like me, you probably don't reflect on this reality very often, right? You just participate in it, and then you grab your stuff, and depending on, you know, extroverted, introverted vibes, you either talk to other people or you leave, right? Well, 
for the next few weeks, we're going to do a little mini-series where we're going to pause and we're going to reflect on this reality, the reality of benedictions. We're doing a series called The Benediction. Our creative team came up with that. It took them a few weeks, but we feel pretty good with it. It's, the graphic is coming your way soon. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at two scriptural benedictions, two benedictions that are found in Scripture, and then we're going to close by looking at our own benediction, the Shades benediction. And my hope is that as we pause and we look at these benedictions in Scripture and our Shades benediction, that we see the beauty of God, that we see who he is and that we see the beauty of his work on our behalf, and that our vision as we go into the world is shaped by his reality. Okay, so before we dive into our text this morning, the scriptural benediction we're going to look at, I want to take some time and I want to talk about benedictions. So first, I want to ask the question, what is a benediction? What is a benediction. Three things. First, I want to say what benedictions aren't, so that we're clear. Um, First, benedictions aren't just this abstract set of commands given to us so we can go out into the world as orphans and earn our place before God. No, benedictions should leave you uh, feeling empowered not overwhelmed. Empowered, not overwhelmed. Benedictions is not a set of commands. Second, benedictions are not a Hallmark card. No offense to Hallmark cards. Um, But a benediction is not a best wish. Best wishes from Shades Valley as you go into the world, right? Good, good luck, right? No, a benediction should not leave you feeling uncertain. A benediction should not leave you feeling like things are left up to chance or you and your own devices. They're not a Hallmark card. Finally, benedictions are not a farewell. This is not God saying goodbye to us. This is not God looking at us and saying, go out there and be somebody. No, benedictions, they, they shouldn't leave you feeling alone. They should leave you feeling known, and they send us into the world not with a goodbye from God, but with a statement from God that says, I am with you, no matter what comes your way. Okay, so first we talked about what benedictions aren't. So then what are benedictions? Well, benedictions, a simple definition, I think, is that benedictions are simply God-given words of blessing. God-given words of blessing. Uh, The word benediction comes from the Latin. And we have a Latin scholar in the room, so I'm not really going to say much about this. Uh, But the word benediction comes from the Latin, good, and speak. So benedictions are good words. They are a word of favor. Um, If you go to the scriptures, 
that you will find benedictions there. You can find them throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So what are some of these? Well, go to Numbers 6. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon and be gracious to you. You also see benedictions in the Psalms. Then we go into the New Testament. Uh, go to Luke 24, 51. What is Jesus' final act before ascending into heaven? He lifts his hands and he gives what? A blessing to his disciples. Um, most of the New Testament letters, you can go and fact check me on this, and include at least one benediction in them. And when we get all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21, and when God speaks his final words in all of Scripture, what are they? A benediction, a blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So we have these scriptural benedictions, and then based on these scriptural benedictions, the church throughout its history, reflecting on the scriptures, has written its own benedictions. So, like the benediction that we have, based on scripture, but it's a benediction that the church has written. And we end this way at Shades Valley because we think it's better than ending the service by saying, bye, y'all. You know, all right, I guess you can end, right? We, we root it in this way because I, I think this is important. This isn't inconsequential, right? Just like with passing the peace, right? What are we doing? We're welcoming one another. I can remember one church, and I don't want to poke fun at them, okay, but I'm going to. Um, and they said, you know, here when we greet one another, we say when you're here, you're family. When you're here, you're home, right? Greet one another in that way. That's great. I have, no, I have nothing against that, right? But, I mean, everybody says that, right? Uh, my beloved alma mater, Auburn University, right? What are we? Family, right? And so with passing in the peace, right, maybe if you're new, you were like, oh, crap, what do I say, <laughs> right? Um, but in passing the peace, we include this because it's a way of greeting one another, what, grounded in the hope of the gospel. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And the benediction, right? We don't say goodbye. We don't just say, go out there with best wishes. We end with a blessing from God, right? And this leads me to the next thing that I want to say, which is to talk about their function. A function, what benedictions do. And I love what the pastor, Drew Hunter, said. He said this, Benedictions take God's promises and recast them as expected blessings. All right? For my note takers, you might want to write that down. All right? Drew is having a good day. Benedictions take God's promises and they recast them as expected blessings. All right? So take 2 Thessalonians, for example. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So when you hear that, when you hear, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all, right? We are reminded of the promise of God's grace, right? 
John 1, from his fullness we have received what? Grace upon grace. Romans 5, we have obtained, excuse me, through him we have also obtained access by faith into what? This grace which we stand. 2 Corinthians 12, my what is sufficient for you? My grace, yeah, is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Do you see? Benedictions take the promises of God and they recast them as expected blessings as we head into the week. What can you expect? You can expect grace from the triune God. So in this way, benedictions, um, they shape our expectations, they shape our vision of the future. And we need our vision of the future shaped because if you're anything like me, you spend a decent amount of time thinking about the future and what could come, right? So think about this. Imagine that we concluded our, our service with something like this. Now go into the world in anxiety because it's a nightmare out there. Have complacency because nothing you do matters. Hold on to your cash. Honor all rich and powerful. Strengthen those you like. Pity the weak. Avoid the suffering and share the gossip. I was pretty proud of that one. (laughs) Love and serve yourself and may the shame of your past follow you everywhere. And all God's people said, ugh. (laughs) Right? Maybe if you're like me, we naturally expect these things, right? I hear it when I talk to you all, right? How's this upcoming week looking for you? <sighs> right? I can hear it, right? We know that we're going into a world that's filled with chaos. We know that we're going into a world where anything could happen. We know we're going into a world in It's filled with so much uncertainty, right? But what these benedictions are meant to do is to shape our imaginations. I love that. Benedictions are there to shape our imaginations because naturally we go into the world expecting chaos, expecting uncertainty, expecting suffering, expecting hard work, expecting boredom, expecting disappointment, right? The benediction says, no, I want want to change your expectation so that those things, right, might awake you as you go into this week. But guess what else awaits you? The grace and the mercy and the power of Jesus Christ. That is what you can expect as you leave these doors and you head into the week. That is what you can expect as you stay at home with kids. That is what you can expect as you go into the workplace. That is what you can expect when you deal with a variety of issues, is the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. This is not a well-wish. 
This is the reality of being the people of God. So this is the parting word of God to us. So benedictions, they're not a to-do list. They're not just a list of commands. They're God's giving, God-given words of blessing. They recast the promises of God as expected blessings that shape our vision of the future. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Okay, so with some of that in mind, I want us to look at the passage with the rest of the time that we have. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 through 24. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. Read with me. Read it one more time. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. My wife saw me looking for my water bottle. Let me read that last sentence again. Verse 24. It's worth reading again. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I'm not sure where I got this notion, but for much of my life, probably up until my mid-20s, I operated with this understanding of Christian salvation. What was my understanding? My understanding of salvation was that salvation equaled justification. I'll say this again. My understanding of salvation was that salvation in its totality, all that it means, right, equaled justification. Justification, what's that? This good news of being declared right before God, Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. We are forgiven of our sin, right? So that's what I thought of. If anyone said salvation, I would just think, oh, okay, justification. But that did something, especially when I would think about the Christian life. Because when it came to the Christian life, I could only see the Christian life, as my response to salvation. My response to justification. I saw it as me hiding or uh, holding up my side of the deal. I saw it as me paying back this endless debt to God that I owed, right? He gave me salvation equals justification now Christian life, I pay it back to him. That makes sense? Yeah. And so therefore, when I would go to the imperatives in Scripture, these exhortations, these things were commanded to do something, I could only see them as a weight. I could only see them as a burden. I could only see them as a threat. Right? Um, why? Because it was just left up to me to show God how much I loved him. It was, it was left up 
to me to show him how much I understood my justification. It was left up to me to be more like Jesus, right? But when we go to the scriptures and when we go to this passage, Paul has a different vision of salvation. It's a picture of salvation that, yes, includes the glorious truth of justification, that we are made right before God, that we are declared righteous, that we are forgiven of our sin by faith, right? Yes, it's glorious. It's, it's beautiful, right? But here, Paul says, hey, that glorious, beautiful picture, it gets even bigger. It gets even bigger, right? I mean, look at the verses. Paul reveals that God himself is not just the source of their justification. He's also the source of what? Their sanctification. Their becoming holy. Their conforming to the person of Jesus Christ. Their growing as disciples. Who's the source? Where is the source found? It's not in Brad. It's in God. Um, and he prays what? He prays that God would complete their sanctification. That the God of peace himself, source, sanctify you completely. Finish God. Source of sanctification, God. Finishing of sanctification, who? God. Right? He prays that... <laughs> He would sanctify them through and through, completely. And, uh, uh, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless, a.k.a. their entire being. Everything that they are, as humans, completely sanctified. So that they're blameless when they stand before Christ. In <clears throat> and just in case you think that this is just a wish from Paul, that this is something that Paul kind of hopes will happen with those who he has seen receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have that beautiful concluding verse. What does it say? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So Paul reads... Um, grounds, excuse me, your sanctification, your becoming holy, your becoming more like Jesus, your being conformed to the person of Christ, your growing in discipleship, he roots that in nothing less than the character of God. And who is God? He's faithful. <laughs> he's going to do it. He said he's going to do it and he will fulfill that promise. Wow. So the beautiful reality, and one of the things that I love about Jonathan's preaching is he so clearly articulates that grace does not just pardon, but grace also does what? In, in, if no one says it, Jonathan's going to be really disappointed. Just kidding. 
Grace empowers. It empowers us, right? It's like, it's like an, an energy, right, that sends us into action, right? So this is the beautiful reality of our salvation, right? We need to think about salvation in a bigger way. When we place our faith in Christ, we're justified, we're forgiven of our sin, right? But as we're joined to Christ, we also have this glorious gift of sanctification, which is God's promise to us that he will transform us, that he will make us more like Jesus Christ. Wow. Isn't that glorious? Um, one of the people that has helped me see this reality in Scripture, among others, is, is John Calvin, all right? And I don't know what comes to mind when you, when you think of John Calvin, all right? But I think he's right on this, all right? So, so bear with me. Calvin says that when we're joined to Jesus Christ, we receive a double grace, a double grace. That is the grace of justification, being declared right, and that is the grace of sanctification, being made holy, being completely sanctified. And both of these gifts come from Christ, right? So, so Calvin says that to receive one without the other would be to tear Christ in two. Such a visceral image, right? Um, Calvin also says it would be like trying to separate the heat and light from the sun. You can distinguish these two things, but you can't get one without the other. Um, not only does Calvin think this, not only does Jonathan articulate this, but it's also in our EFCA statement of faith. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from what? All you members, you believe this, so... We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. Becoming more like Jesus is not for the few pious, is not for those with really good willpower, for those who are called in to ministry. Why? Because our sanctification is not a byproduct of salvation. It is part of what it means to be saved. It is part of what it means to belong to Jesus. It is a benefit that we receive by faith. Whew. It's beautiful. Is this good news to anybody this morning? Man, the scriptures teach that by the Spirit, I don't know if I believe this always, <laughs> The scriptures teach that if you belong to Jesus, that if you have placed your faith in him and have received his justifying power, then by the spirit, God is continually transforming you through a lifetime of growth and struggle into his likeness, right? This is part of what he's doing. Sometimes this is harder for me to believe than the fact that I'm justified, I can believe that God has forgiven me, but can I believe that he is at work transforming me? Right? I see it with y'all too. Hey, I sit down, I sit with you and I can say, I can see how the Lord is working in your life, how he's transforming you. How you're becoming more like him. What happens? Immediately your head lowers. Well, I'm still da-da-da-da-da, right? 
Isn't this hard to receive? Isn't this hard to believe? That in seasons when we feel it, in seasons when, when we don't feel it, that God is at work making us more like Jesus, right? Now, you might respond with, well, Brad, doesn't that mean that we just don't have to do anything? I think Paul's answer would be, if that's your response, then you are not tracking with what I'm saying. <laughs> you are not seeing the beauty of what I'm saying. You are not seeing the invitation to come and to cling to Jesus. You are not seeing the invitation to lay yourself before him. You're not seeing the invitation to press into the church. You're not seeing the invitation to confess your sins before one another and before him. You're not seeing the invitation into repentance. You're not seeing the invitation into the hard work of belonging to a church with a lot of different opinions and a lot of different types of people. Right? Because it's as we do these things that we look back upon it and we say, it was not I, but the grace of Jesus Christ. So God gets all the glory. The good news this morning, Shades, that I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else, is that God is sanctifying you through it all, whether you feel it or not, that he has a goal, and that is you being completely formed, conformed to his son, and he will do that by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? He's faithful. He'll do it. He doesn't change his promises let me close with this. There's this legendary story from the seminary that Jonathan and I went to, Beeson Divinity School. I say it's legendary because I'm not 100% sure it's true, but we're going to pretend like it is. Um, Beeson has this beautiful chapel um, on Sanford's campus. And it's been called uh, a sermon in stone because the building itself just preaches the good news of the gospel. Right? Um, it's also been called the, uh, the, the redneck Vatican by one of my professors, which is pretty great. It's pretty awesome. So the chapel has this glorious dome, and Alex, you can put it up. You're not going to be able to see it very well. Um, but as you look to the top, the scene is the great cloud of witnesses, and you see Jesus there with his hands outstretched in, in glory and in, in eternity. And so the story is that uh, the founding dean, a man that is dear to my heart, Dr. Timothy George, at some point in the completion of the chapel, went up and looked at the photo the picture, a photo, that's not a photo those times. The picture and said, there's something not right with the picture. Well, what wasn't right? As Jesus' hands were outstretched, he noticed that there were no nail marks in Jesus' hand. And so he said, go back up and paint the nail marks in Jesus' hand. We know from John 20, right, doubting Thomas, that the reality of the resurrected Christ is that the nail marks remain. And this is something worth pondering 
and thinking about, even as we go into this week, the nail marks remain in the transformed, resurrected Christ, right? I believe that the nail marks will tell a story for eternity, right? What is that story? It's the story of the cross, right? But it's not a story whose primary theme is humiliation. It's not a story whose primary theme is shame. It's not a story whose primary theme is suffering. No, what is it? It's a story of God's redemption. It's a story of God's healing work. It's a story of God's sanctifying power so that now when we look back on this horrific torture device, all we can see is the love and the beauty of God. This will be the same with your story. Each and every one of you, what sin in your life threatens to overwhelm you? What sin in your past threatens to define you? What suffering is there that threatens to define you? What suffering in your life is there that threatens to shape everything else? What is that thing in your life that as you look back on, you say, I wish this was not part of my story? I would do anything. You have no idea what I would do to remove this from my story. You have no idea the pain and the hurt and the shame in everything that it's caused. I would give anything to have it wiped from my memory. I believe that the good news of the gospel is that in eternity, these things will not be wiped from our memory. They will be there, but what will they be like? They will be exactly like the cross of Jesus Christ. That as you look back into that moment of suffering, that as you look back upon that sin in eternity, there won't be any guilt, there won't be any shame, there won't be any, I really wish that didn't happen to me. All there will be is an overwhelming power and glory and light that shows the beauty of Jesus. You for eternity will be saying, look what God has done. And you will see with such clarity who he is. And the thing that will define you is none of that. The thing that will define you is Jesus' redemptive and glorious work. He does make beautiful things. And he's continuing to do it even now in your life. So don't despair because that is your future and that's the glorious truth that benedictions point us to, that God is completing a work. That he's taken what was broken, torn down and horrific and he's making it into a glorious testimony that shines forth who he is forever. Join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, Come. Father, we believe this. Help our unbelief. Flood your power and presence here into this place so that we may see and know you deep in our bones. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.